Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity to worship, to gather together, to come together, to be influenced by you and your spirit, and to be shaped by your love. Pour down your Holy Spirit on us as we think about and reflect on um, what it means to have a relationship with you and how grace is so important for our lives. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Today's focus is on the conversion of St Paul. In fact, um, the feast celebration for this is the 25th of January and, and, and many churches will have their feast, whatever their church is named after, if there's a feast associated, they usually have a worship service. But I'm not, couldn't imagine many people wanting to come to church on the 25th of January. So we decided to have it this week. Um, and the conversion of St Paul is an interesting one because Sometimes when we think about conversions, we think of conversions from not liking God to loving God. Well, Paul's issue wasn't that. Paul's issue was he loved God, but his relationship with God, his focus on who God was, was about the law. You know, what fueled him, and we'll see that he's a passionate person, what fueled his passion was the law. However, that all changed after he had an interaction with God. And it became grace. As he says to the church in Galatia in chapter 1, verses 15, he says this, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. It's by God's grace that Paul was called away from one way of life into another way of life. It's by God's grace that he saw God differently and it's God's grace that he continued to live with God but also for God. And so something I'd like you to start off by reflecting on is when it comes to Christianity, what are you most passionate about? What are you most passionate about as a Christian? If I go on the internet and type in Christian or go to a Facebook page and look up Christians... People can be very passionate about Christianity, but they can be passionate about certain things. Some people are passionate about a particular style of worship or music. Some people are passionate about a particular approach to Christianity. Some people are passionate about justice and ethical issues. Some people are very passionate about um, how things should be ordered. And some people are passionate about God's grace. But what about you? What are you passionate about most about Christianity? And also, this is an ongoing reflection question, is a question to ask yourself is, how has or is God changing what you're passionate about? How has or is God changing what you are passionate about? In my previous congregation, I was very blessed to have a range of people and one of the people who would testify that God had changed them was this 90-year-old lady, and she said she'd encountered... I was new to the parish, and I'd done something that um, was a bit risky for a pastor in their traditional service. We'd introduced PowerPoint, and we got rid of the hymn books um, in, in the pews. And it wasn't just me. It was some others wanted that as well. And it just made life easier for everyone. Well, a few people weren't happy, and one old gentleman down the street was complaining to her, and he thought he'd have a sympathetic ear... And she said, I'm glad it's happened. No longer do I have to do the hymn book juggle. I can now worship God. She said, 10 years ago, I would have been like you. The hymn book's very important. We must have it. 
She said, however, I've realised the hymn book is not the purpose of our faith. The hymn book is simply a tool. In fact, the hymn book could sometimes get in a road and so I'm more happy about all this and it's changed my attitude but the, the church is not about some traditions, it's about my focus on Jesus. God has a wonderful way at times of changing us over time and sometimes some of us can be more stubborn than others about certain things. And so I'd like you to continue to reflect on these two questions about what are you passionate about most as a Christian because often what you're passionate about is um, what you're prepared to destroy relationships about. If you go on the internet, you see that quite frequently. Some people have this passion that they don't care what they say or how they say things or how they demonise people when they think they're right and passionate about it. They don't care. You know, and our church at the moment has this discussion going on. And as I listen, people at both sides of the discussion are very passionate about their position, some more so than God's grace or love. And secondly, think about how has or is God changing what you're passionate about? Because Paul was a very passionate man. You see, this story of Saul converting to Paul is one of the most significant conversions in the Christian history. It's it's well known. It's not only known within the Christian church, but people in secular communities often talk about the Damascus Road experience, meaning they've had a major change in their life. Because that's where it happened, where God intervened with Saul and changed his future, changed his life, changed the way he approached life. And so some background about Paul. He was originally called Saul, which was his Jewish name. Paul was more of a Gentile name. Um, God has this habit of changing names from time to time. There's no record exactly at the specific time when this name changed, although we see within the New Testament that he's called Paul um, as he continues on the Christian missionary. Um, for instance, if you go to the Old Testament, Abram, he changed his name to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. So God has this habit at times of changing names. Some of my African friends said when they get baptised, if they've had another name, they at times change their name to signify that Christ, they're now followers of Christ. He was born in Tarsus, um, which is in the current day southwest of Turkey. And if you look at a map, that's probably the most, it's, it's quite far from where he, he does a lot of his ministry his hometown. He's Jewish, but he's also a Roman citizen, and there's a bit of conjecture of how he's a Roman citizen, but um, we see within the scriptures that he is a Roman citizen, um, and that has significant um, impact. It allows him to do some certain things and get away with things that he otherwise wouldn't be able to get away with because he could rely on his Roman citizenship. And most importantly, he was a member of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the small but very loud group of people. They, they saw that their relationship with God required strict obedience to the law. And that's how they lived. But not only for themselves, for everybody else. They, they, they had this issue that if you weren't obeying God's law, um, you were in trouble. And we had to make sure you were in trouble. And also they lived this idea of separation. Right? We want to be separate from everybody else. We got to, because otherwise we'll become unclean. 
They wanted to be separate from non-Jewish things and non-Jewish people. And Paul was one of these. He was quite a significant leader in this, this group by the, before his conversion. Um, and he was quite vocal about this. Now, we, nowadays we often refer to a Pharisee as someone who points out someone's fault but doesn't live quite like that. You know, and there's a bit of a history in there. But Paul was one of these people who had tried to live by the law but also enforce the law on anyone and would judge everybody. He studied under a rabbi, Gamaliel. Now, that was saying that was basically saying he went to the most exclusive um, Pharisee university. You know, he was this, he was well educated. He was highly educated in the law, and he had this focus of he was passionate right, about what he was doing. A second historian, second century historian, describes. Paul as this. He's a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs, in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked, full of friendliness, for now he appeared like a man and now he had the face of an angel. And this is important because sometimes people have this picture of Paul being this big dominant character, but he was actually not. And most of the early pictures of him do represent this baldness, this crooked nose, not great looking in one sense, but friendly. What's also important to notice about Paul is that he was a zealot, which means he was extremely passionate. He was extremely passionate, particularly about his understanding of God. He was highly passionate about this. And he wanted to make sure others saw this understanding that he thought was correct. And the last point that's important for us in the background, he had a history of persecuting Christians. If you had come across Paul as a Christian, you would want to have avoided him, most likely. He's not a nice person. This is what it says in Acts chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. Now, Stephen was stoned. He's considered the first martyr and Paul kind of is in the background overseeing this. And these godly men mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Now, that's not a building. He's talking about the people, the community of faith. Going from house to house... He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. He's not a nice man at this stage. Before his conversion, he's not a pleasant person. He's not a, a person that any Christian would like to run into because if you did, there's likely you would face persecution. And so I have a question for you. If you were God, how would you have dealt with Saul? If you were God, how would you have dealt with Paul? You know, you only have to look at the news in the last few months of how people like to deal with their enemies. We've got to annihilate them. Or maybe we've got to at least punish him. There's got to be justice done. Or we've got to control him. We can't have him any more say. Our human nature often goes down that track, doesn't it? But God does something different. 
Now we have to understand something and it's got, we need to be clear about this. Paul's problem was not that he didn't love God. In fact, he was passionate about his love for God. Paul's problem was that his understanding of God and how God related to people was wrong. And that too can be our problem. You know, sometimes I'll get people who are part of the church who will say, you can't judge me, I'm a Christian. And yet part of what they're saying doesn't seem to be consistent with what the Christian faith is. That's how we deal with that. But, and this is also a message for us. Maybe at times we are like Paul. We are passionate about God about something, but we've got part of it wrong. Or maybe our passion is overriding this grace that we're going to talk about. And if that's the case, we've got a problem. So listen to what God does. God doesn't destroy Paul or Saul. God doesn't punish him. God doesn't say, you've got to serve some time. God changes his focus from relying on God's law to relying on God's grace. He changes his whole focus. From Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16a again. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, this blew the mind of some of those early Christians. You know, they they couldn't work it out. You know, here was a bloke who previously had a reputation of persecuting the church, now praising God, Jesus, and pointing people to Jesus. And maybe they had the same mindset as many humans do today, that he should have been punished. He should be taken out of the picture. But that's not what God did. God grabbed hold of his passion and shaped his understanding of that. And therefore, grace becomes Paul's major message. And I'll say this. One of the, I think, the challenges for us as a church is that often, you know, and I hear Christians who say, I don't like Paul on certain reasons. And I think part of the problem is often people read Paul, but they're looking, they're basically making Paul a new Moses. They're looking at all the rules and law, law that Paul talks about, and they become holding on to those rather than this overall message where grace saturates his message. They don't put the law into the picture of grace. Now, some of the issues instances of grace that appear in the if you've got a new new international version bible you'll see that in the pauline epistles 30 percent of the new testament is assumed to be written by paul and at least the word grace appears 61 times if you've got an niv bible in second corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 we hear but he god said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's grace, he sees God's grace as sufficient. Now, often Christians will say, yes, I need God's grace. But then at times we'll go, yeah, we've got God's grace, but we need to have these rules and we need to have this law and we need to put this into place. And sometimes we are very clear about that and sometimes we have this cultural stuff that happens. 
But Paul keeps talking about here, my grace is sufficient. And then he says in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, we are justified, we have a we have a place with God because of God's grace. It's not something we earn, it's not because of our background or culture, it's not because we get things right. It's because Jesus has come into this world and died on the cross and rose for us. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And he highlights that God's grace now becomes his motivator for doing things, which he also says in 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Now I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether it then it is I or they, that this is what we preach and this is what you believed. And so that Paul, for Paul, the message of God's grace is so important because it's checked, affected his life. It's given him a new life from one focused on the law, one focused on punishing people, one focused on persecuting people, to one of building people up and encouraging them to connect with Jesus. And it's also allowed him have that part. Now the law does play a part but not a major part and this is where I think sometimes we mess it up because we get we read, we're looking for ways of life. You know one of my challenges with any new convert is whether they become from another religion or from secular society, often say what are the rules I have to play by? What are the rules? And any group of people have some rules but one of the problems is is when our rules become more important than God's grace, we have a major issue. We're distracting people away from Jesus and his love and God's love. You see, God converted Paul from relying on the law to relying on God's grace. He converted Paul from seeing the law as the main thing to God's grace being the main thing. I'd encourage you to think about do you see certain laws or rules or ways of life as the main thing? Think about what you're passionate about. And we're all passionate about certain things and certain things in church. Think about what you're passionate about. And is that more important than God's grace? God converted Paul from being passionate about God's law to being passionate about God's grace. God converted Paul from persecuting people to building them up and encourage them to grow in a relationship with Jesus, the source of grace. Now, grace is, sounds nice, but it's not always easy. In fact, if we are not only, we like receiving it, I often say we like receiving God's grace, but we find it difficult being witnesses or sharing God's grace in difficult circumstances. 
And there's a story of a, a Lutheran pastor who also happens to be a, 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 a university, Lutheran university lecturer, who tells a story of when he was 16. And when he was 16, he crashed his car, his first car, which was a gift from his father. And he rings up his dad and said, I've had an accident, I've written off the car, I've crashed it. And do you know what his father's first reaction was? How are you? Are you okay? And then the son hesitantly said, um, Yes, but I was drunk. Worrying about how his father would react. And his father says, well, come on, come on, get home. So he gets home and he's sobbing and he's sorry and he's apologising and a whole heap of for about an hour. And his father listens and he says, are you okay? You're still okay? You know, you're not hurt? And he's, and he's still thinking his father's going to punish him, give him some consequence. Then when he calms down, his father says, ah, oh, son, look, come here. Gives him a big hug and said, tomorrow morning, we're going to go out and buy you a new car. Now he says, as he tells this story, as a, an example of grace in action in people's lives, some of his fellow pastors are horrified. Some of his students are horrified. And they said, but you need to have consequences for your actions. You need to know that what you've done, you need to pay for what you've done, otherwise you might do it again. Why didn't your dad do it? He says, my father talked about grace, but he also put grace into action. Because his father had a belief that grace will always supersede the power of God's law. You know, some people love to talk about, I've got to have tough love, or they've got to deserve it, or there's got to be justice. And there's no mention of grace, no picture of grace or thought of grace in their thoughts. Now this gentleman, this pastor, this lecturer said that very instance impacted him for the rest of his life because he knew what was talked about in the Bible, knew what it was talked about, how God talked about grace. It gave him a picture of God's grace. He knew he didn't deserve to have the new car. But his father still treated him. He said he knew his father had probably already picked up that he'd already, the Lord had already spoken to him without his father having to push it down him or force it on him. And so what about us? What does it mean for us to be receivers of God's grace, but also to be like Paul, to be witnesses of God's grace in our words and action? Well, first of all, let's think about being open to God converting our understanding of him, our relationship within how we live. I think there are sometimes people will sin against me and I, my first reaction is not a very graceful reaction. Sometimes it's not that. And yet when God speaks, it starts to change. And if I remember how others have treated me gracefully, it also starts to change. God working through them. So keep listening to God, being fed, fueled, and shaped by his grace. You know, ever since I've been here, in fact, ever since I've been in ministry, one of my major themes has always been, let's, let's keep worshipping regularly, let's keep reading the Bible, let's keep praying regularly. 
because it's through those interactions with God we get to pick up God's grace. We get to see God's grace at work and keeps changing us and feeding us. You know, some people will say you, you are what you eat, whereas Christians, you are what you read and listen to. You become that. Let God's grace be your prime motivator of what you do and how you relate to people. Because there are some Christians who um, make the mistake of thinking that, oh, because I've got God's grace, I can do whatever I like. I don't have to care for anybody. But that's not the call of grace on us. The call of grace on us is to reflect that grace to others. So let God's grace be your motivator. Think about the next time you're, you're dealing with somebody is how can you help them get a sense that life is about God's grace? How can you respond to something you don't like in a, in a way that is graceful? And check that God's grace is always having the final say. People can be passionate about a lot of things when it comes to the church. And I encourage you to think about what you're passionate about. And I encourage you to think about is, is God's grace overpowering that passion? Because if it is, that could be a good thing. You know, we have rules for things like good, what we call good order. Because imagine if we had no rules as a church, you know, people would show up at 7 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, all over the place. But we have these kind of rules to kind of help us be a community. But if, we, if the rules become more important than God's grace, we actually miss sharing that message, miss the message of, of God. And so if you get upset because somebody doesn't show up exactly when you want, maybe, it may be an issue we need to deal with, but at the same time, how can we do that in a graceful way? I pray that as you interact with God, that God changes what fuels your life, that it's the grace of God, not the rules of God, that it's the grace of God, not the rules of life, that affect who you are, how you see yourself, but also how you see others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful gift of grace and the love you have for us. Pour down your Holy Spirit on us as we live And may your grace always be part of our lives. Remind us, remind us that you are a graceful God at all times, especially when we don't deserve it. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.